Let's wipe out all the body hate. We're canceling the quest to lose the weight. A journey of recovery above the influencer. I started it. I started it. I did it. Hello, my followers and people that I've paid to listen to me talk. Maddie, thank you so much for joining me. Maddie is on the line with me all the way from sunny California. Along with being one of my amazing, amazing friends and travel companions, she is a med student at one of the top medical schools in the United States. But we're going to keep their name out of it for their own protection. You know, keep it secret, keep it safe. Maddie's med student. She is currently interested in OBGYN, but don't worry. She also is interested in pediatrics, which means she will learn all about that urology good stuff that I don't really know much about. Additionally, Mad Dog is in her clinical year. That's what they call her on the rounds. That's what she told me earlier. She's in her clinical year and she is rotating with patients so not only is she a genius billionaire playboy (laughs) philanthropist but she also is seeing people face to face no offense to all of my other best friends who are medical practitioners but maddie tries harder than anyone else that i know in the healthcare field to be inclusive and anti-oppressive and anti-discriminatory in so many ways, not just in the fat-phobic, non-diet culture realm. Isabel. Any feelings, any thoughts, gas, like any of those? (laughs) Oh, lots of gas always. But no, that was way too nice of an intro. I'm so happy to be here and so excited about everything you're doing with this podcast and a lot of my interest in this came from you so I am just very grateful to have you as a friend and grateful to be on the podcast just be still my heart some people might be out there asking as well like hold up this podcast is supposed to be about media why are you interviewing a med student? How does that have to do with media? And what do you say to that? That is a great question. I have a couple answers. First of all, so media is definitely one of the biggest culprits as far as fat phobia goes. And this review paper that I read recently said that 72 to 98% of obesity-related reports emphasizing individual responsibility for weight, so like what we don't want to be doing, um, came from the media, whereas 40% in scientific journals related to health. So while medicine is less of a culprit in perpetuating this fat phobia that we see, it's still 40% is still pretty high. So that bias definitely exists in medicine. And then also, I think one of the interesting things that we've talked about is this kind of tendency to equate health with weight loss. And that's like a really dangerous thing to fall into. And especially once you see, you know, TV doctors and other medical professionals advocating and standing by that view that has really no basis for truth, it becomes really dangerous. But at the root of it, media is 
what continues to progress this stance that we see in the medical community. So I think that they're all one related and uh, it's impossible to not act based on your experiences and the things you see in the media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think about we're going into the new year. Oh, I forgot to say this. Happy 2021. When this airs, it will be a new year. 2020 will be behind us. And with the new year comes all of the pressure, advertisements, all of the family talk, friend talk about losing weight as a new year's resolution. But on top of that, coming out of quarantine or still being in quarantine, we're going to hear more and more about the quarantine 15 and all of these sort of ways to lose weight and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of that pressure is backed. I'm doing air quotes. No one can see it except for you. I was lying. I wasn't doing it. And now I just did it. (laughs) Maddie. Many of them will say, you know, weight loss is for health. You're supposed to lose this weight in the new year because it's healthier for you. Or, you know, you are you can't have gained weight during quarantine or you have to lose that weight during quarantine because, you know, it's better for your longevity. You're going to live longer if you're thinner, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I'm understanding what you're saying by that. those percentages is that, yes, 40% of the, you know, discrimination based on individuals who are labeled as obese, given the BMI scale, which we will discuss at some point in the near future. Definitely. 40% of that comes from the medical community, but 72 to 98% of that shaming comes from media in and of itself. So that does not seem to compute. Yes, no, that's exactly right. And I mean, but again, that's why I think it's important to talk about both and how they're intertwined. And like, Mm -hmm how you can't get rid of one without targeting the other, essentially. Mm -hmm. What else do you want to share with our listeners, given what you've seen over this past year rotating with patients specifically, but also in your studies and in your experience in med school? Totally. So again, I am in medical school. There are definitely plenty of practitioners out there that have seen way more than me. But in some ways, it is pretty dramatic how much I have seen in my short time in this world of medicine, where there is just this fixation on weight as a metric for health, and how weight loss is a prescription that is just thrown out there, particularly when I was rotating actually with OBGYN and women specifically it seems that there is this fixation with focusing on weight as a marker for health. And while in some senses, there could be a correlation between a high weight and unhealth, there could also be a correlation between poor health and having a low weight. So I think that the issue that I have seen is it's kind of lazy is the wrong word, but it's kind of this thing where when doctors approach these medical visits where, you know, doctors are really busy, they're trying to get through their clinic as fast as they can. But as they are set to see a patient, if they see a high BMI, that's automatically going to go on the list of something to talk about. Mm. When in actuality, evidence-based medicine has shown that this lose weight, eat less diet is just not sustainable. And long-term, 
not only is it not sustainable and does not result in better health outcomes, it actually has been shown to place the blame on patients, causing emotional distress when these like futile attempts at weight loss are inevitably unsuccessful. And this creates long-term lasting stress and depression, which ultimately leads to worse health outcomes. Actually, I just came off psychiatry and one of my attendings was telling me how MDD, major depressive disorder, can reduce life expectancy by 10 years. So if doctors are prescribing weight loss as a means to improve health, but then that ultimately causes a reduction in mental health, which has been shown to reduce life expectancies, then that seems like an incredibly flawed way to approach patients. So I think what I've seen, I guess, is just people not looking at these metrics critically. And they're definitely being a bias against people with high BMIs. And I haven't once heard any of the practitioners or professors that I've worked with talk about the health at every size movement, which we can talk about more later. But I, re- from what I've read, that seems to show evidence-based support for its approach and something that I hope that we can move toward as being a key mainstay of like every medical school curriculum. You know, I'm not a doctor. They say at the end of, of that, uh, I don't know if you know that production company that goes like, not a doctor. You know oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's on the mini project. Not a doctor. Exactly. Not a doctor. That being said, I have also read these studies talking about the ineffectiveness or inefficiency of dieting and how prescriptive weight loss can be more detrimental than positive. And to clarify what you're saying, I will put it in terms of my own weight and my own health. And again, I will say this every episode, I have been privileged. I am not an example of every person out there who is told by their doctors to lose weight. I'm not an example of every person who is quote unquote too high on the BMI scale, whatever. But what I will say is that I go to the doctor and often at my doctor's appointments, I'm told to lose weight. And I have mild obstructive sleep apnea, which you know, since you've seen my really cool mouth guard. Mm -hmm. And yes, losing weight is something that could help with my breathing at night. But the detriment of losing however much weight it would require for me to assuage my mild obstructive sleep apnea would be... 10 times more harmful to my mental health and my physical health, Mm -hmm. and thus even more harmful than having the weight that is contributing to the obstructive sleep apnea. It's not being considered in that way. It's very black or white thinking of, okay, well, if this person couldn't lose weight in order to solve this problem, then they should do that. Not thinking about the implications of telling people to do that, not just mentally, but also physically. Totally. No, this is like the idea of the do no harm thing, right? Like, okay, sure, telling somebody to lose weight might help them with their sleep apnea, but so can a mouth guard. And so can a BiPAP machine. Whereas telling somebody to lose weight will cause more harm in another 
area. So it's like a constant balance between these two things. And that was a perfect example. I think that there is like this misconception too of losing weight being really great for cardiovascular fitness and all these other health metrics. And it hasn't been shown like the literature doesn't support these interventions actively making any positive intervention as far as those other health metrics. In fact, as we talked about before, it's actually shown to be more harmful long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To go back really quick to what we were talking about, and, and I'm throwing out some words that, or we are throwing out some words that can be triggering. And I want to make that known that for any healthcare practitioners out there that are listening to this, the words BMI, obesity, weight loss, dieting, those words are something that can be, or those concepts in general are something that can be incredibly activating to someone who either has been told their entire life that they have weight to lose, or they've been told their entire life that they are obese or that they're overweight or et cetera, et cetera. Or someone like me who struggled with an eating disorder walking into a doctor's office and having a label of obesity or having BMI be discussed is something that is incredibly activating. I want to put that out there. But while we're on that topic, can we talk a little bit more about what BMI is, what it means in the medical community, and sort of your perception of it? Sure, totally. So in the medical community, BMI is kind of used like any other vital sign. So you've got your blood pressure, your heart rate, your BMI. Those are those quick rundown dirty facts that practitioners will use right away to kind of get a quick picture of the health of somebody. And unfortunately, BMI as a metric is an incredibly flawed metric. It was created, I think, in the 1800s um, by this like random white dude in a time of... He was a mathematician. He was not a medical provider whatsoever. And he wanted to create this formula to identify the degree of obesity of a population, but used only white men in his data pool. And then came up with a formula because the formula didn't quite fit the data where he squared the height in the bottom of the formula. So it didn't even make sense. He made up this formula to fit the data. If it sounds confusing and flawed, that's because it is. To give this guy some credit, even though he doesn't really deserve any, he did explicitly say that it should not be used on an individual basis. And yet here we are. So even this man who seemed to no shade whatsoever towards mathematicians, you're doing the work that no one else wants to. So thank you so much. (laughs) Amen. Amen, right? But even he put out there that this should not be used in the way that we're using it today. Correct. Yeah, which is really concerning. And when I learned this, I was actually so shocked because it's totally taken as an individual metric of somebody's obesity, kind of no questions asked, which is very confusing to me if you know anything about the history of this of this metric. And, you know, the 1800s was also kind of a time of racist and sexist science. So we're, it's not all I, mean, I would I would go, I would go out to say that now is probably a time of racist and sexist. And you're right. Well, but... And you're right. <laughs> but this BMI is, it, it also leans that way, both racist and sexist. And unfortunately, the, as I said, the pace of these medical visits are such that oftentimes doctors just don't have the time to actually put in the effort and they just read the BMI and move on with it. So, I mean, I think having improvements in a metric could be extremely successful or just removing it entirely as a vital sign and having, I don't know, like a health scale of some sort that you get Mm -hmm. after talking to somebody and seeing what their health is like. Um, But then even that's subject to bias. So I will say this 400 times during this podcast. I'm not a healthcare practitioner. I have no idea 
how to make this better. I don't know how to improve upon this. Like, I think that like mathematicians, doctors are doing the work that no one else wants to, especially right now during COVID period. That being said, I think that the main takeaway that I have and that I use for myself is that medicine is flawed, just like everything else. And medicine is biased, just like everything else. And, you know, just because we've made amazing strides at coming to a vaccine with COVID, treatments in cancer, treatments in HIV AIDS, all of these different things go on and on does not mean that going to the doctor is not an experience that is influenced by our culture. And our culture Mm -hmm. is sexist, fat phobic, racist, homophobic, Mm -hmm. again, could go on and on and on. And so in the same way that you wouldn't walk into a lecture about something that is particularly personal to you and know that the person giving the lecture knows everything that there is to know about this subject, your healthcare provider doesn't know everything about you. You are the only person who knows these things about you. And it's important that you remember that when you're going to a doctor's office, you can advocate for yourself and you can speak up for the things that you find important and the things that you know. Because while your doctor might know your weight and your height and your blood pressure and your cholesterol level and your blood sugar level, they don't know how you're feeling day to day. They don't know your movement level. They don't know your eating disorder history. They don't know all of these things. And it is important, just as important to know all your vitals. It's important for them to know that additional information as well. Unfortunately, our society doesn't quite allow for enough time for those things to be adequately discussed. And I totally agree. And also, just to give some credit, I do think that the medical world has made strides as far as trying to make these social determinants of health a bigger part of the medical school curriculum because people are realizing that health isn't just biology. Like there is so much that goes into health. Uh, and I think as medical schools diversify, you know, based both on race and sex and gender identity and sexual orientation, like the the better informed doctors will be hopefully. So I, I think what you're saying is absolutely true that that medicine is subject to these biases, but I, I am optimistic. I think that's a perfect segue into talking about health at every size. Can you expand a little bit more from your perspective what health at every size looks like? For sure. So the way that I think about it is it's kind of a response to what we talked about on this podcast at length already, that the traditional way that medical providers have approached high BMI, in quotes, um, is weight loss, eat less, full stop. And that has not been shown to work. Empirically, the evidence has shown that that is bad medicine. And so this health at every size approach started, I think, in the early 2000s. So it's still pretty new. But the evidence so far has been really encouraging and is kind of the best practice as of now for how to treat patients. And I think it kind of relies on three principles, which is first to encourage body acceptance, second to support intuitive eating, which I think you've spoken about on other podcasts, and then third to support active lifestyles, which you also talked about on a different podcast, this kind of intentional movement where doing what Obviously Maddie is doing her research. She's listening to the other episodes. Obviously. 
really well-informed, amazing guest. Oh, what can I say? I mean, how could I not just listen to your voice as much as humanly possible? It's just, it's just beautiful. You were, you were made for this, I must say. Just casual crying <laughs> here. It's totally fine. So Health at Every Size is a book, uh, it, well, is a movement mm-hmm. that started with a book written by Lindo Beacon. So I want to suggest taking a look at that book and also the other, well, first of all, Lindo Bacon's website, which I'll put in the show notes and also the other books that they have written. And then additionally, intuitive eating is a very widely practiced um, and more and more well-known anti-diet approach to food and honestly has changed my relationship to the world in that I think that it's very mindfulness based. It's very drenched in this idea that our bodies know what to do to take the best care of ourselves. And we just need to learn how to listen better. And that is written by, I'm looking at the book right now because I can't remember the exact names of who wrote it. Evelyn Tribble and Elise Resch. Oh my gosh, probably mispronounced those, but (laughs) I think you nailed it all right thank you another thing that I'll say as someone who actively searches for health at every sized informed doctors while they may be out there they are really hard to find Mm. there are some resources that are out there that exist to help find them and I will also put those websites in the show notes there are forums that you can use to find health at every size informed doctors and some practitioners or some um, specialties it's more difficult than others but there are a few tricks that I've used personally that I think are helpful for me in figuring out sort of who might be the least activating, as I said before. And some of those things include looking at their website, seeing if there's any sort of weight loss related, especially when it comes to OBGYNs, seeing if there's any sort of weight loss related rhetoric or any sort of mention of health at every size, intuitive eating. When it comes to other sort of isms, do you notice that on their website, they have people from diverse backgrounds? Is there body diversity? Is there Mm -hmm. racial diversity? Is there gender diversity? Mm -hmm. Like looking and seeing what they're using to represent themselves. Also, right now, TikTok is blown up for doctors, Instagram, just Google, check Mm -hmm. out what people are saying about them, what sort of feelings are you getting from reading these comments? And do you notice that the people who are writing these comments are coming from a place that you are? Are they looking for someone who is health at every size informed? Are they looking for someone who is going to be respectful of their wish to not be weighed or mm-hmm. wish to do a blind weight or all of these other sort of protective mechanisms that you can create for yourself in order to make sure that an experience at the doctor is not as activating as it could be. I do think that it's important for us, us as a global whole, to sort of take this into our own hands because mm-hmm. every time you go to the doctor doesn't have to be a traumatizing or re-traumatizing mm-hmm. or further traumatizing experience. For sure. That's the goal. I'm also wondering, you mentioned about in medical school 
having more information provided on social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there has been any discussion of health at every size or some sort of criticism of the BMI that you've seen from other practitioners or has this been in your own research or your own sort of delving further into this? Yeah, great question. Um, It definitely hasn't been from other practitioners that I've seen, but there are a fair amount of other medical students in my class that are aware of the health at every size movement and are very critical of BMI and have Mm -hmm. said things in class when we learn about it as a metric. So again, this is where I like am optimistic about the future of medicine, where I see the change happening around me. And I'm like very proud to be amongst some of the other medical students that I'm with, because a lot a lot of these changes are medical student driven that we see on our campus, at least these medical students will go on to become doctors. So hopefully, there will just continue to be more practitioners that are informed about health at every size, and are conscientious with every patient that comes in and and encourage those around them to do the same. Because that's, I think, the other thing that I was going to say is to try to use your sphere of influence, right? So even if you don't know a doctor, if you're a friend of a friend of a doctor, or you're a friend of a friend of somebody who's a nurse, then talk to them, see what's happening in their own community and, and see what what you can do to inform them about health at every size and about fat phobia that exists in medicine. Because I think that's like one of your most powerful areas of influence is those around you. And then also just I think back to what you said about the doctor, I think being blunt in some ways is good. Like I did see this with one patient that I was really amazed by when the doctor said, it'd be great if you lost some weight. She said, actually, research has shown that the majority of people who attempt weight loss are unsuccessful. So do you have any other suggestions? So that's really hard and takes a lot of courage to do. But the doctor that I was with responded really well, actually. So what uh, doctor you were with? I... they said, I'm really glad you brought that up. And they weren't informed about health at every size. And this was kind of way back the very beginning of med school before I knew much about it. But they said, I we can definitely talk more about it and work on something that will work best for you and address this health concern that I have in a different way or something. It was it was good. It's hard to be an advocate for yourself, <laughs> especially in like a activating environment. Yeah, it is. I am a full-blown asshole to my healthcare practitioners and good. I completely own that. And it's not always their fault, but a lot of the times it is their fault. So <laughs> just know that if you're using me as an example, maybe don't because I don't go about it in the nicest way. That being said, I have a lot of trauma from a lot of doctors. Mm. And I think that it is only understandable that that would lead to the not nice response that I have when people Mm. give me a piece of paper that says my weight on it after I've told them that I'd like to be blind weight or, you know, things like that. That's just a very difficult request of you. I know it's it's unkind of me to even ask for people to go above and beyond. I get it. And like I'm somewhat joking and I'm somewhat serious. Our healthcare system puts so much pressure on doctors Mm -hmm. that it would make sense that in order to see and in order to provide care for the most amount of patients, do what they are told and do what they are used to. And sometimes what they are used to is harmful. I've also seen online some like cards that you can print out if you're less 
of somebody who wants to say something that has like a list of very quickly what health at every size means, very quickly like what some of your requests might be that you could either hand to the nurse or hand directly to the doctor if you were felt uncomfortable talking, but still wanted to make your own requests. I love that. I love that. Can I have that? Right. Absolutely. I will send the our, link along. Our show notes will be 40 yeah. pages long. And <laughs> we hope that you enjoy reading that. To bring it back to what we were saying before about resolutions, mm-hmm. what are your New Year's resolutions? That is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Mm-hmm. My first one would be to travel with you again some mm-hmm. more because we had some great times. I'd go without the um, gastrointestinal issues that came along with that, but so you don't want to shit your pants. I was like, I don't want to pee out of my butthole, as you said. <laughs> I don't know if you can put that in, but there will only be talk of feces in this. It's the healthcare <laughs> episode. We're talking about shit. Yes. No, but that's my number one New Year's resolution. My other New Year's resolution is to go hiking some more, even though it's cold, because Mm -hmm. going outside really brings me joy and has gotten me through this dark, dark time that is 2020. So spend more time outside. Yeah, I think those are my two biggies. What about you? Travel and spend more time outside. Both of those sound amazing. Wow, what are my New Year's resolutions? I too have not thought of these. And honestly, I don't really do New Year's resolutions. But in the spirit of having New Year's resolutions that are not body related. um, Okay, I'm gonna like, take a pause and go on a little like tangent. Okay. Lennon Doyle wrote a book that I didn't read that I should. Untamed. Oh, you know what? A New Year's resolution? Read more. That is... Yes. And the same to New Year's resolution, read more. So read more. But Glennon Doyle, at the beginning of quarantine, wrote something about pause buttons and reset buttons. So in our world, we have a lot of pause buttons, things that you do when you're woefully overwhelmed, and you need to take a pause, but it's not something that you do to completely like cleanse yourself, if that makes sense. I love that. So like my pause buttons would be like scrolling through Instagram at this point, watching TikTok, TV shows, swiping on dating apps, shit like that. And while those are good in the moment and help for distraction, they don't really sort of cleanse the overwhelm or the feeling that you're having. But reset buttons are different. Reset buttons are things that you do as a form of self-care that at the moment might feel sort of like work when you're feeling overwhelmed. But when you're done with them, they're the things that make you feel whole again in some ways. Oh, I love that. So yeah, I really love this. And I did it at the beginning. So like for me, those would be going to take a walk outside mm-hmm. or singing a song or calling a friend I mean even taking a shower sometimes I feel like it's a good reset but when you're fucking tired and you don't want to take a shower it's hard to take a shower for me I can't speak for everyone some people some people like showering whatever so shower more that's also on your new year's resolution well I'll I'll say globally like hit the reset more you know what I mean like try and try and really really make purposeful decisions so when Mm -hmm. I'm feeling overwhelmed it's a little bit of effort mm-hmm. to reap the reward of sort of 
starting anew. I love that. And Glennon Doyle, please, if you want to come on the podcast, I'd love to have you. Please hear this. And there are millions of millions of fans, so this would really expand your reach. This would expand your reach. I promise I will read your book 400 times. It's on my list, I promise. Don't worry. Remember that time we met Abby Wambach? That was one of the highlights of my life. To be young and 22 years old in New York City. Oh my god. That's a song. Sing it with me. Is it? To be young and in love in New York City. Yeah, that's the one. I think you should just end the, end the show with that song. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm trying not to get sued in 2021. That's not one of my resolutions. Maddie, how do we feel about what has been said? I think the only other thing to say is that what I've said is a reflection of how I currently feel, but I know there's so much more to learn. And my goal is to be a weight-inclusive practitioner and kind of emphasize that BMI is not a causal factor and is totally overemphasized and overstated and how weight loss is not supported by the literature as an effective strategy, whereas the Hayes approach is, I don't know, just continue to fight fat phobia and stigmas against larger bodies more broadly. And I hope that's what kind of came across today. Yes. And I can't wait for you to become an adult doctor because right now you're a child doctor (laughs) i'll fly wherever you are to see you oh i can't wait do i make you hungry baby starving baby yeah do Do you want to tell me about your choice for food for your feed sure well i was going to first say lindo bacon who we already discussed at length Um, They are a great person to follow, whether you are just somebody who listens to the pod, whether you are a healthcare provider, they have tons of resources, both on their website, as well as on their Instagram. And their Instagram is just Lindo Bacon, I think. They just started their Instagram. So it's currently being updated, has only new things. Amazing. Well, their Instagram probably has a link to their website, which is phenomenal. And then my other food for your feed is Jess Campbell, who is a also a student doctor. And her Instagram is H-A-E-S, health at every size, underscore student doctor. And she puts a bunch of great stuff about the health at every size movement, particularly from a medical student perspective, future practitioner. Mm -hmm. Something I love about her is that she will post a like journal article or some sort of paper and actively critique it for what it is saying and maybe what it's omitting. We have the opportunity to think critically about the information that is being fed, unintended, to us. Totally. And I think she she comes from a very evidence science-based approach, which is also good for people who are of that way of viewing things. And also for people that are critical of the health at every size movement as not having evidence to back it up, which it does. And she is very good about showing what evidence there is for that approach. I think she's from Australia too, which is just like an added bonus. Hell yeah. Maddie, I am so happy that you got to join me. I hope that you feel as lovely about this convo as I do. Oh, I'm glad you feel lovely. That's high praise. High praise is is kind of my forte. (laughs) I can't wait 
to have you either take care of my children as a pediatrician or <laughs> stare directly into my vagina as an OBGYN. <laughs> Is thank you so much for having me. You're the best. Miss you so thank so you. much. Next time on Above the Influencer. Next time on Above the Influencer, we will be chatting about eating disorders and disordered behavior in sports. For those of you who know me, know that I don't sport very well or very often, so please join me as I have an expert come in to educate me and all of you a little bit. Thank you so much and see you next time. (laughs) 